Section 13 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot. Translated by Robert Black. Chapter 36. Henry IV, Catholic King, 1593-1610, Part 8. Mornay began by owning that, quote, out of four thousand quotations made by him, it was unlikely that some would not be found wherein he might have erred, as he was human, but he was quite sure that it was never in bad faith, end quote. He then said that being pressed for time, he had not yet been able to collate more than nineteen out of the sixty quotations specially attacked. Of these nineteen, nine only were examined at this first conference, and nearly all were found to be incorrect. Next day, Mornay was taken, quote, with a violent seizure and repeated attacks of vomiting, which Monsieur de la Riviere, the king's premier physician, came and disposed to, end quote. The conference was broken off and not resumed afterwards. The king congratulated himself beyond measure at the result, and even on the part which he had taken. Quote, Tell the truth, said he to the Bishop of Vevreux, the good right had good need of aid, end quote and he wrote on the sixth of may to the duke of epernon quote, the diocese of evreux has beaten that of saumur the bearer was present and will tell you that i did wonders assuredly it is one of the greatest hits for the church of god that have been made for some time he evidently had it very much at heart that the pope should be well informed of what had taken place and feel obliged to him for it quote, haven't you wits to see that the king, in order to gratify the Pope, has been pleased to sacrifice my father's honour at his feet, said the young Philip de Mornay to some courtiers who were speaking to him about this sad affair. This language was reported to the king, who showed himself much hurt by it. Quote, he is a young man beside himself with grief, they said, and it is his own father's case. End quote. Quote, Young he is not, replied the king. He is forty years old, twenty in age, and twenty from his father's teaching. The king's own circle and his most distinguished servants gladly joined in his self-congratulation. Well, he said to Sully, what think you of your pope? Quote. Quote, I think, sir, answered Sully, that he is more pope than you suppose. Cannot you see that he gives a red hat to Monsieur Evreux? really i never saw a man so dumbfounded or one who defended himself so ill if our religion had no better foundation than his crosswise legs and arms mornay habitually kept them so i would abandon it rather to-day than to-morrow economie royale page three forty six sully desired nothing better than to find mornay at fault and to see the king fully convinced of it jealousy is nowhere more wide awake and more implacable than at courts However, amongst the grandees present at the conference of Fontainebleau, there were some who did not share the general impression. Quote, I saw there, said the Duke of Mayenne as he went away from it, only a very old and very faithful servant, very badly paid for so many services. End quote. And in spite of the king's letter, the Duke of Epernon sent word to Mornay that he still took him for a gentleman of honor, and still remained his friend. Henry the Fourth himself, with his delicate and ready tact, was not slow to perceive that he had gone too far and had behaved badly. Being informed that Mornay was in deep suffering, he sent to him Monsieur de Lomenie, his cabinet secretary, to fully assure him that the king would ever be his good master and friend. Quote, As for master, said Mornay, I am only too sensible of it. As for friend, he belongs not to me. I have known men to make attempts upon the king's life. 
honour and state, nay, upon his very bed. Against them, the whole of them, he never displayed so much severity as against me alone, who have done him service all my life. And he set out on his way back to Saumur without seeing the king again. He returned thither with all he had dearest in the world, his wife, Charlotte Arbaleste de la Borde, his worthy partner in all his trials, trials of prosperity as well as adversity. She has full right to a few lines in this history, for it was she who preserved to us, in her memoir, the picture, so salutary to contemplate, of the life and character of Mornay, in the midst of his friend's outbursts of passion and his adversary's brutal exhibitions of hatred. As intelligent as she was devoted, she gave him aid in his theological studies and labors, as well as in the confronting of public events. Quote, during this expedition to Fontainebleau, I had remained, she says, at Paris, in extreme apprehension, recently recovered from a severe illness, harassed by the deadlock in our domestic affairs. And as for all that, I felt it not in comparison with the inevitable mishap of this expedition. I had found for M. Duplessis all the books of which he might possibly have need, hunted up, with great diligence considering the short time, in the libraries of all our friends, and I got them into his hands, but somewhat late in the day, because it was too late in the day when he gave me the commission. The private correspondence of these two noble persons is a fine example of conjugal and Christian union, virtue and affection in sixteen o five their only son philippe de mornay a very distinguished young man then twenty-six years of age obtained henry the fourth's authority to go and serve in the army of the prince of orange maurice of nassau at deadly war with spain he was killed in it on the twenty third of october at the assault upon the town of gueldre on receiving news of his death quote, i have now no son said his father therefore i now have no wife End quote. his sorrowful prediction was no delusion Six months after her son's death, Madame de Mornay succumbed, unable any longer to bear the burden she was supporting without a murmur. Her memoir concludes with this expression, quote, It is but reasonable that this my book should end with him, as it was only undertaken to describe to him our pilgrimage in this life. And since it hath pleased God, he hath sooner gone through, and more easily ended his own wherefore indeed if i feared not to cause affliction to m du plessis who the more mine grows upon me makes me the more clearly perceive his affection it would vex me extremely to survive him on learning by letter from prince maurice that the young man was dead henry the fourth said with emotion to those present quote, i have lost the fairest hope of a gentleman in my kingdom i am grieved for the father i must send and comfort him no father but he could have such a loss. Quote. Quote, he dispatched on the instant, says Madame de Mornay herself, Sieur Bruneau, one of his secretaries, with very gracious letters to comfort us, with orders, nevertheless, not to present himself unless he were sure that we already knew of it otherwise, not wishing to be the first to tell us such sad news. End quote. Memoir, page 107 this touching evidence of a king's sympathy for a father's grief effaced no doubt to some extent in mornay's mind his reminiscences of the conference at fontainebleau one thing is quite certain that he continued to render henry the fourth in the synods and political assemblies of the protestants his usual good offices for the maintenance or re-establishment of peace and good understanding between the catholic king and his malcontent former friends a third Protestant, Theodore Agrippa d'Aubigne, grandfather of Madame de Maintenon, has been reckoned here amongst not the councillors certainly, but the familiar and still celebrated servants of Henry the Fourth. 
he held no great post and had no great influence with the king he was on every occasion a valiant soldier a zealous protestant an indefatigable lover and seeker of adventure sometimes an independent thinker frequently an eloquent and bold speaker always a very sprightly companion henry the fourth at one time employed him at another held aloof from him or forgot him or considered him a mischief-maker a faction-monger who must be put in the bastille and against whom if it seemed good there would be enough to put him on his trial madame de chatillon who took an interest in d'aubigne warned him of the danger and urged him to depart that very evening Quote, i will think about it madame said he i will implore god's assistance and i will see what i have to do Quote, the inspiration that came to me, says he, was to go next morning very early to see his majesty, and after having briefly set before him my past services, to ask him for a pension, which up to that time I had not felt inclined to do. The king, surprised, and at the same time well pleased to observe a something mercenary behind all my proud spirit, embraced me, and granted on the spot what I asked of him. The next day D'Aubigne went to the arsenal. Sully invited him to dinner, and took him to see the Bastille, assuring him that there was no longer any danger for him, but only since the last twenty-four hours. La France Protestante, by M. Hag, page 170. If D'Aubigne had not been a writer, he would be completely forgotten by this time, like so many other intriguing and turbulent adventurers, who make a great deal of fuss themselves, and try to bring everything about them into a fuss as long as they live, and who die without leaving any trace of their career but d'aubigne wrote a great deal both in prose and in verse he wrote the histoire universelle of his times personal memoirs tales tragedies and theological and satirical essays and he wrote with sagacious penetrating unpremeditated wit rare vigour and original and almost profound talent for discerning and depicting situations and characters it is the writer which has caused the man to live and has assigned him a place in french literature even more than in french history we purpose to quote two fragments of his which will make us properly understand and appreciate both the writer and the man during the civil war in the reign of henry the third d'aubigne had made himself master of the island of oleron had fortified it and considered himself insufficiently rewarded by the king of navarre to whom he had meant to render and had in fact rendered service after the battle of coutras in fifteen eighty seven he was sleeping with a comrade named jacques de comont la force in the wardrobe of the chamber in which the king of navarre slept Quote, la force said d'aubigne to his bedfellow our master is a regular miser and the most ungrateful mortal on the face of the earth Quote, what dost say d'aubigne asked la force half asleep Quote, he says repeated the king of navarre who had heard all that i am a regular miser and the most ungrateful mortal on the face of the earth d'aubigne somewhat disconcerted was mum Quote, but he adds when daylight appeared this prince who liked neither rewarding nor punishing did not for all that look any the more black at me or give me a quarter crown more End quote thirty years later in sixteen seventeen after the collapse of the league and after the reign of henry the fourth d'aubigne wishing to describe the two leaders of the two great parties sums them up in these terms quote, the duke of mayenne had such probity as is human a good nature and a liberality which made him most pleasant to those about him his was a judicious mind which made good use of experience took the measure of everything by the card a courage rather steady than dashing take him for all in all he might be called an excellent captain 
King Henry the Fourth had all this, save the liberality. But to make up for that item, his rank caused expectations as to the future to blossom, which made the hardships of the present go down. He had amongst his points of superiority to the Duke of Mayenne a marvellous gift of promptitude and vivacity, and far beyond the average. We have seen him a thousand times in his life make pat replies without hearing the purport of a request, and forestall questions without committing himself. The Duke of Mayenne was incommoded by his great bodily bulk, which could not support the burden either of arms or of fatigue duty. The other, having worked all his men to a standstill, would send for hounds and horses for to begin a hunt, and when his horses could go no farther, he would run down the game afoot. The former communicated his heaviness and his maladies to his army, undertaking no enterprise that he could not support in person. The other communicated his own liveliness to those about him, and his captains imitated him from complacence and from emulation." These politicians, these Christians, these warriors, had in 1600 a grave question to solve for Henry the Fourth and grave counsel to give him. He was anxious to separate from his wife, Marguerite de Valois, who had in fact been separated from him for the last fifteen years, was leading a rather irregular life, and had not brought him any children. But in order to obtain from the Pope annulment of the marriage, it was first necessary that Marguerite should consent to it, and at no price would she consent so long as the king's favourite continued to be Gabriel d'Estrées, whom she detested, and by whom Henry already had several children. The question arose in 1598, in connection with a son lately born to Gabriel, who was constantly spreading reports that she would be the king's wife. To give consistency to this report, she took it into her head to have her son presented at baptism as a child of France, and an order was brought to Sully, quote, to pay what was right to the heralds, trumpeters, and hautbois players who had performed at the baptism of Alexander, Monsieur, child of France, end quote. After looking at the order, Sully detained it, and had another made out, which made no mention of Alexander. The men complained, saying, quote, Sir, the sum we ought to have for our attendance at the baptism of children of France has for a long while been fixed. Quote. Quote, away, away, said Sully in a rage. I'll do nothing of the sort. There are no children of France. And he told the king about it, who said, quote, There's malice in that, but I will certainly stop it. Tear up that order. End quote. And turning to some of his courtiers, quote, see the tricks that people play and the traps they lay for those who serve me well and after my own heart. An order hath been sent to Monsieur de Rosny with the design of offending me if he honoured it, or of offending the Duchess of Beaufort if he repudiated it. I will see to it. Go to her, my friend, he said to Rosny. Tell her what has taken place. Satisfy her in so far as you can. If that is not sufficient, I will speak like the master and not like the man. End quote. Sully went to the cloister of Saint-Germain, where the Duchess of Beaufort was lodged, and told her that he came by the king's command to inform her of what was going on. Quote, I am aware of all, said Gabriel, and do not care to know any more. I am not made as the king is, whom you persuade that black is white. End quote. Quote, ho, ho, madame, replied Sully, since you take it in that way, I kiss your hands, and shall not fail to do my duty for all your furies. End quote. He returned to the Louvre and told the king, quote, Here, come with me, said Henry. I will let you see that women have not possession of me, as certain malignant spirits spread about that they have. End quote. He got into Sully's carriage, went with him to the Duchess of Beaufort's, and taking her by the hand, said, quote, 
now madame let us go into your room and let nobody else enter except you and rosny and me i want to speak to you both and teach you to be good friends together then having shut the door quite close and holding gabriel with one hand and rosny with the other he said quote, good god madame what is the meaning of this so you would vex me for sheer wantonness of heart in order to try my patience by god i swear to you that if you continue these fashions of going on you will find yourself very much out in your expectations i see quite well that you have been put up to all this pleasantry in order to make me dismiss a servant whom i cannot do without and who has always served me loyally for five-and-twenty years by god i will do nothing of the kind and i declare to you that if i were reduced to such a necessity as to choose between losing one or the other i could do better without ten mistresses like you than one servant like him gabrielle stormed was disconsolate wept threw herself at the king's feet and said quote, seeing him more strong-minded than had been supposed by those who had counselled her to this escapade, began to calm herself, says Sully, and everything was set right again on every side. End, quote. End of section 13